This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 51, Comic Reviews for the week of February the 6th. Welcome back to the show. This is Comic Shenanigans. This is episode number 51. We're looking at comic reviews for the week of February the 6th. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. Um, for those who haven't listened to the show before, or this is your first episode, I have previously written comic reviews for both uh, ComicStream.com, which is now CXPulp.com. Um, also, sometimes I write for CGMagazine.ca, which is Comics and Gaming Magazine in Canada. Uh, and also, I, obviously, I've, uh, I host this podcast. Uh, so this is episode 51. Um, and it's our comic review, our weekly comic reviews episode. So let's just jump right into it. There was actually a lot of books that came out today and actually, or this week, and I actually did read most of them this time around. So there's a lot of stuff to get through. Uh, first book is All New X Men number seven. Um, this book is consistently surprising me because when it was first announced, I really wasn't sure if I was going to enjoy it. It was kind of an interesting concept. I didn't know how it would be able to keep going. Um, even after like the initial storyline, uh, but this has been a pleasant surprise. So this is written. This issue is written by Brian Michael Bendis. Our work by uh, David Marquez, who pre- previously had collaborated with Bendis on uh, Ultimate Spider-Man, while uh, Sarah Pacelli was taking, I guess, her leave from the book to be do Spider-Man, etc. So it's a great-looking book. It's definitely a quieter book. It's it's characterization. This is about young Cyclops trying to figure out who he is and what he could be. He goes to a bank, finds a safety deposit box that. Has a bunch of artifacts from his prior his life as a as an adult, uh, and then he meets up with who he thinks is Wolverine, but it ends up being Mystique. And Mystique sets a plan in motion. Um, the idea that you know that Scott Summers has to become Scott Summers and really take control of his own destiny and of the team. Um, it's really interesting to see how that works. We get a, a little glimpse at um, uh, Kitty Pride kind of leading the team. Um, this is really cool stuff. I really liked it. The artwork is fantastic. I like young Cyclops. Uh, he has more of a like the first arc, especially by the end, was more much more about Jean Grey, about her coming to terms with the fact that she died and this universe has happened and all these things have happened and everyone's expecting and looking at her with certain fear and trepidation. What does that mean? And then this arc so far has been much more about Cyclops realizing his place in the world and that um, you know, and he's kind of been kicked kicked to the ground with these revelations. But it's this this arc kind of and because of Mystique, kind of has him figuring out. I gotta take control of my own destiny. I gotta become Scott Summers. I gotta figure out what's going on. And I gotta put things right myself, and not just let others do it for me. Um, and him really stepping up to be the leader he's meant to be and is. Um, so this was a really well done issue. I uh, the artwork by Marquez is fantastic. Uh, the scripting by Bendis is inspired. I feel like he spent so long in the Avengers books. It's it's hard to remember what it was like when New Avengers was fresh and new, and. Um, he was new on the book and he was grabbing all these voices and it was so interesting and exciting every issue. And after a while, it feels like his new Avengers just got stale, uh, like he was bored or he just wasn't being challenged. On the X-Books now, he's doing something. You can tell that his creative juice is really flowing and it's resulting in a better story. And that's really the best best case scenario for the readers. Uh, so I give that a 9 out of 10. Next up is Animal Man number 17, which is part one of the Rot World finale. Not a huge fan, uh, to be honest. Like I've enjoyed aspects of this in Swamp Thing. Um, I do think I've enjoyed Swamp Thing a little bit more at times because it, it's not as grotesque and dark. Um, just the color palette I find really not enjoyable in Animal Man since the beginning, really. And uh, 
Yeah, you know, it is what it is. This is written by Jeff Lemire and Scott Snyder. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I don't The artwork's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. I just, I, I find it just so drab and boring. And I understand that kind of makes sense, especially for this story, but it just didn't quite do it for me. Uh, pages 1 to 4, 10 to 11, and 14 to 20 were uh, done by Steve Pug, or Pugh. I don't know how you pronounce that. Uh, Timothy Green the second does pages five to nine and twelve to thirteen, and as I said, it is co-written by Jeff Lemire and Scott Snyder. Um, you know, it's okay, and you got. I, I think the problem is that you you've been reading. If you're reading uh, Swamp Thing, you're basically able to read just the Swamp Thing stuff, and you had kind of a concise story. And here you have to kind of read both aspects, um, and so it's a little little schizophrenic that way because you have two very different types of stories that are coming together and culminating one big uh, showdown. It, and there's a lot of violence here that, again, the artwork kind of makes it more grotesque and the colors are really drab and, like, Frankenstein becomes a Green Lantern. I don't know. This issue was okay. It just it didn't necessarily make me feel strongly that this was the best way to f- finish the storyline. Uh, in some ways, I'm surprised it's ending so fast. Um, but, it, you know, it was okay. I mean, I gave it a 7 out of 10 because it wasn't a bad read. It just wasn't necessarily a read I really wanted. <laughs> Uh, next up is Avengers number five. This continues to be a, a brilliant title. Um, Jonathan Hickman is really outdoing himself. Uh, Adam Kubert is again on art. Uh, this is about the new Smasher. Um, what I really liked about this is that it was a smart way of um, tying in. Like, if you've read Grant Morrison's run on New X Men, the opening kind of panels in here will be very familiar. Um, because Smasher goes through the, uh, the Stargate, uh, to try and, uh, warn Earth of what's happening to the Empire, and that, uh, and then on his way, something breaks off from his costume and it kind of stays there, and it's an organic construct, and eventually this woman, Lizzie, ends up touching it and becoming a Smasher. Uh, I really liked how the character was written, I really liked her history and how she kind of works with the Avengers now, um... And it's a great tie-in. Like, you have the uh, the Shi'ar show up. And just this was just a lot of fun. It was a really interesting issue. Uh, that's two issues in a row, which have been a lot more about characterization of an, one of the new uh, Avengers members as opposed to really showing how the team operates. Although, you definitely see part of that. And her name is Lizzie Dare, or Izzy Dare. And it definitely looks like he's supposed to be Dan Dare. Um, like, this, this old man that she's... Uh, I think it's her grandfather. Um... But yeah, if you read this issue, it's extremely well done, uh, great artwork, and there's obviously there's a, a greater threat looming. I like the Hickman's kind of writing this way. That we had the first you know three part arc, and then we had the issue four, which is a Hyperion solo story basically, which also had little pieces of uh, you know glimpses as to what's going to happen next and this greater mystery that's unfolding. And then we have this issue, and we have more of that. So I'm really interested to see where this goes. I mean, Hickman. He's doing a brilliant job, and uh, man, he's really blowing out of the park, and not just in this book. So I gave this uh, about a nine out of ten. It it deserved every every mark on there. It was just, and the Kubert artwork was extremely good. Like sometimes uh, Adam Kubert will speed up, and he'll lose a little bit of the clarity in his artwork, but that was not the case here, and it was extremely good. Um, next up it, on the not so good end is the Avengers Assemble Annual, which I was kind of looking forward to because we're finally getting a, a focus on Vision and who he is now that he's returned. It felt a little well. It's written by Christos Gage, artwork by Tom Co- Tom Coker. 
Um, I didn't like the artwork, to be honest. It kind of reminded me of Michael Gaido's mixed with something else that I didn't quite enjoy. Um, the overall palette was just felt dark and non-super heroic, and I don't know. The the basic, it, it just felt like a really long issue, and it didn't really do a lot. I mean, it's the idea that Vision kind of needs to um, re-examine his place in the Avengers and as, as that part of the family and the rage he has upon what Scarlet Witch did to him. I feel like it's just it's such an odd place because we had his interactions with Wanda in AVX number zero, and then we really never had anything after that, and now we're just kind of getting this here, and I just, I feel like, uh, I don't know, uh, Vision is such a cool character. Vision is to the Avengers what Martian Manhunter is to the Justice League. And when you don't have them on the team, it's lacking something. Because they are such a, a cornerstone of those particular teams. And then the way he's written here is they, they tangle with Centurion, who's a uh, classic old villain uh, that comes from Roxxon. I don't know. It, I just didn't care much for how they wrote the character. And what I really wanted to see is how they end the book. They end the book with him going to visit his, his basically his children. And that's where it leaves off. It kind of felt like um, the Star Trek Voyager finale. We had this seven years about trying to get home, and they get home in the last instant, and then they just... They, they, we don't even get to see the, the, the money shot. The money shot would be an epilogue, seeing how they even handle going back to Earth. Like that's the That was what it was all about. Here, we have this entire thing about Vision kind of confronting everything about himself, and then... Finally having the courage to go meet his, his quote-unquote children. And then that's where you leave off? I mean, come on. like that That's what I wanted to see. The rest of the issue is just preamble. It was preamble to a moment that didn't really happen. And I just I didn't enjoy it. And I don't even know. I guess Vision's not really around. And I don't even know if I care. Because they're writing him so poorly. Uh, the way he returned in the first place. And Bendis just kind of threw him together out of nowhere. It, it didn't feel like it was earned. It didn't feel like it... It was something that was in the in the background or going to happen. In fact, I didn't think it could happen. The whole point of the young vision was that this older vision was kind of gone. Um, so that's unfortunate. I give it a six and a half out of ten. The artwork wasn't that great. The story, eh? Maybe it's more of a six out of ten to be honest. Like it just it, it failed to really captivate me. Uh, next up is Batwing seventeen. I actually really dug this. Uh, I'm on and off on this book. Some issues, not so much. I'm not so big a fan. This issue is more about. Batwing going up against the Sky Pirate, which is kind of weird. The artwork by Fabrizio Fiorentino, and the, the uh, script is by Fabian Siza. I actually really like the artwork. I like the idea of the story. The Batwing kind of loses his wings early on in the story, and uh, he's dealing with the fallout of what happened in the last uh, last issue with uh, arresting you know a very important man's son. Um, this is really interesting stuff, and. I enjoy... There's a good cliffhanger as well. This was one of the first issues of Batman I read where I got to the end and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm there already? That was pretty short. Like usually it feels like the book drags on a little and uh, it kind of it obviously would affect my enjoyment of it. Here it just felt like by the time I got to the ending, I was like, whoa, I'm already at the end. Like That's the way books should read. A lot of comics these days, you kind of feel like you're you're kind of getting there and you're like, oh, well, that was okay. And you, you almost want the ending to come up. Here I didn't. Want, I was surprised it happened so fast. So that is uh, a good thing. I gave it an eight out of ten. It was a really solid read. Uh, next up is Daredevil End of Days number five. Still can't believe how long the series actually is because it's super long. I think I, I in the last podcast where an issue of this came out, I mentioned that uh, I thought that this was like a six part, like a six part series or something, but it's actually eight parts. So we're not really as far as we thought we were. 
But finally, we have things really moving because we have the Punisher break, uh, having a great tête-à-tête with uh, Ben Yerrick, which was like the whole first third of the uh, of the series. And then you have a great uh, like Punisher's out there. You have uh, Melvin Potter, the Gladiator, is the next person that Ben Yerrick goes and talks to, um, which I really enjoyed. You have the, the Punisher's free now. You got Bushwalker and Bullet. Um, this kind of felt like old home week in a way that the other one wasn't. You have a, for the first glimpse that maybe Daredevil had a son, um, and maybe that's why he needed a, a smaller version of the Daredevil costume. I really liked where this was going. This one definitely felt like you were moving away from it just being Citizen Kane and actually becoming more of a thrilling mystery. Uh, and again, old home week for uh, people who, who really enjoy uh, Daredevil. I mean, you got a lot of old school characters. Bushwhacker, uh, obviously not as much a Daredevil character, more of a Punisher one, but you do have Bullet. Um, you got uh, Melvin Potter, you got Punisher, who's had a lot of dealings with Daredevil. This is actually pretty interesting, and I enjoyed it. Uh, it wasn't quite as strong as the last issue, because the last issue was messed up with Bullseye, but this is still like, really interesting. Uh, Klaus Jansen, still not the penciler I would have put on this, but it's okay. Um, you got Bill Sinkowitz doing the uh, the inks and the painted uh, painted artwork. Pages 1 and 9 are painted, um, and it's written by Brian Michael Bundes and David Mack, who are a pretty good writing team, so I enjoyed it. Uh, again, I don't know how it's going to stretch on to ten, sorry, to six, ah, the eight issues, but you know, I guess they're going to figure out a way. I just hope it keeps being as entertaining and engaging as it is. And I'm just, I'm afraid that the length of the miniseries will adversely affect the quality of the storytelling because it will feel like it's going on too long. Next up is Detective Comics number seventeen. Sorry, the last one I gave it an eight out of ten. Detective Comics seventeen, I'm going to give it an eight and a half out of ten. This is actually a really solid read. Um, there are a lot of bat books, obviously, these days, but this one, they end up being enough, different enough in flavor that they're still pretty engaging. This one was actually pretty cool with a, a nice mystery, and that's what Detective Comics should be. It should have more of a mystery. Like a few years ago when Paul Dini was writing the book, it felt very thematically different from Batman because it was about him being the detective. Uh, so here you got the Merrymaker and the Legion, I guess, uh, was it the Court of Smiles or whatever they're called. Uh, it's actually pretty interesting stuff. You got the idea that you have sorry, the League of Smiles is operating and they're killing this. Uh, they go after this uh, this psychiatrist they all had, and Batman has to face him. He's trying to figure out what the mystery is, who this merrymaker is, um, how he's connected, why he's put together this le- this League of Smiles. Um, I actually liked seeing who was responsible for it, and then kind of how uh, Batman kind of turns the League of Smiles against their founder. The Merrymaker. Uh, I'm not sure how I feel about the Emperor Penguin stuff, but it is that is what it is. Um, also, the background we see how the Merrymaker kind of got started, and uh, that's actually pretty pretty fascinating. Is sorry, not how the Merrymaker got started, what he does, what happened to him after the main story in this issue. Um, this was a really good book all the way through. Um, really entertaining, engaging. The artwork was really well done by uh, Fibok. And the, uh, the script was by John Lehman. This is well worth reading. Uh, obviously, this one felt less like it took place during the um, current Death of the Family storyline. But obviously it does because the first part was entrenched in it. Because the League of Smiles just kind of comes out as a Joker worshipping group in the middle of kind of the havoc that was uh, being uh, kind of perpetrated on, um, on Gotham after what was happening through the uh, Death of the Family storyline. So... This is a good book, 8.5 out of 10. Uh, quite engaging. Quite engaging. So next up is Earth 2, number 9. Uh, now this book, uh, I, I like the pacing a lot. It's 
it's it's willing to take its time to tell a story and it's not about the justice justice society per se it is about the world and we're getting a lot of different characters uh but i really like this so since the beginning earth 2 has been a book i've really enjoyed um i like reading it i can't wait to when it comes out in trade finally eventually because unfortunately it's coming out in hardcover first uh i plan to you know share with friends etc because i want them to give this really give this a shot um this issue really cool because i mean you, you have a, the greater sense of what's going to happen with the helm of naboo um which i really like you have a little bit more into the history of of hawk girl or sorry hawk woman actually what is her name here i now forget if she's hawk girl or hawk woman anyways the a hawk character uh you have the world army kind of figuring out who jay garrick is and going to arrest him um which involves the sandman and the Adam kind of coming to get him and destroying his house. Um, I really enjoyed how the characters were written here. I enjoy, really, really like how the Flash is written. Even though I'm still not a huge fan of the costume, I liked how the story was written. Um, the idea of the Helm of Naboo and now being in a, a different uh, dimension, seeing what's going to happen there. Um, and it looks like... Now, I don't know a lot about the magic characters, so I apologize. I didn't know... I'm not really sure who Wotan is. He looked more like Clary in the way that he was illustrated here, but um, interested to see where that goes as well. Um, it was just a really, really... I Jerry, uh, James Robinson is a fantastic scripter. Um, he's really good at kind of world-building, and that's exactly what he's doing here because he's able to actually build the world. Uh, artwork by Nicola Scott, who I'm a huge fan of and has such a great, crisp, uh, artistic style. This is just a This is just a fantastic book. It's engaging, it's enjoyable, um, yeah, and it's it hasn't let me down, to be honest. Like, almost every issue has been extremely solid and enjoyable, so I'm going to give this an 8 out of 10. It's well worth your money to give it a shot. If you, I mean, obviously this isn't the best uh, jumping on issue, but, uh, you know, I think even if even as, even as a first issue, if you jumped on and read this, I think you'd get a lot out of it. I think it'd be really interesting, um, even if, because it makes you wonder, you know, what happened in the last eight issues? Who it, you know, what is going on here? What is going on with the Flash, etc.? So I think there's a lot to enjoy here, and uh, I definitely did. I just did some research, and I looked it up, and it looks like Wotan is an archenemy of Dr. Fate. So again, I didn't really know that. I don't know a lot about the Dr. Fate character. The little bit I do came from reading uh, certain uh, JSA issues and the... Uh, not the last run of Justice Society, but the run before that that started in, I believe, either the late '90s or early 2000s. Um, so that's the only so that's the only real uh, prior experience with Doctor Fate I had. So that explains at least that uh, where Wotan came from. So he is a an arch enemy of uh, Doctor Fate. So that's interesting as well. So yeah, Earth Two number nine, I give it an eight out of ten. Uh, next up was Fearless Defenders number one. I gave this originally I was going to give this a seven out of ten. I feel like I gotta give it a six. I just didn't enjoy it at all. Um and it's not a bad comic, which is why I don't give it like a three or something stupid. It's just I didn't like it. I didn't find it that enjoyable or engaging. I do think that there's a market for it. Um I'm just not the market, I guess. Uh and it feels like this is coming out way too late as well. Um this should have come out a long time ago. I mean the whole it's interesting like now we're getting a new Defenders book that's nothing like a Defenders book, which is fine because God knows the last Defenders book didn't do all that well. Um, this is written by Colin Bunn with art by Will Slinney. I don't think this is going to last like more than six issues personally. I mean, I like that Misty Knight is 
getting a focus somewhere. I really liked the Heroes for Hire book and Villains for Hire that she was a part of. So um, it's a shame we're not seeing that version of Misty. This is more of, I don't even know, like, I don't even know what she is here. But she's just not that. And having Valkyrie, I don't care a lot for Valkyrie either. I don't know. I just, this wasn't, an, I, I didn't like this all that much. The artwork's fine. It's not bad art. It's not even a bad story per se. It just, it didn't do anything for me personally. Um, and having like the, and then there's a, there's this awkward sequence where this, uh, this, I forget who the character even is, but Valkyrie comes in and kind of saves the day. And anyway, she ends up having this weird moment where, uh, she, like this, this scientist or archaeologist or something, I don't even know because I, I, I enjoyed it so little, had to give Valkyrie a nice big kiss. I'm like, really? That's just felt weird and exploitive. I don't know. I didn't really enjoy this. Um, I give it a, so I'll give it a six out of ten, and that's being charitable. I just this I'm not the market for this. I'm not the one that they want this. I guess to read. Um, I don't know who this is being marketed to, and I guess that's my problem with the book. Is that is this being marketed to Defenders fans? Is this being marketed to people who want to follow up on the Fearless, which was not the greatest miniseries that came out of the Fear itself? Like, what is who is the market for this? Who is this supposed to be aimed at? And to be honest, even after reading it, I don't know, uh, which is weird. Uh, Iron Man number six just felt long and pointless. This I give it a six and a sorry, I was gonna give it a six and a half. I'm actually downgrading it to a six. Um I like the idea that Tony Stark is kind of a, a wanted man because of what he did to the Phoenix and help him be instrumental in kind of its eventual destruction. I mean he obviously messed with it. Uh that being said, the the entire issue just felt very very uh prolonged and unnecessarily like it's basically him in space dealing with, you know, uh, he helps this ancient race out and then he ends up uh, kind of flirting with one of them and he's going to end up having sex with one of the aliens. And uh, then when she sees his face, she's all disgusted because he has a beard and it's disgusting to her. And then he gets attacked for being a blasphemer who, you know, killed a deity, which was the Phoenix. Um, that's basically the issue. They could have done it in a few pages it just it felt very in, uh, indulgent, um, and it doesn't help that you have artwork by Greg Land, which feels very indulgent sometimes. Kieran Gillen can do better than this, and he has in the past, but this wasn't his best work. Uh, again, part of it's the Greg Land artwork just felt more exploitive, even more exploitive than the script necessarily needed to be. I feel like maybe Gillen was writing for uh, Greg Land in a way that I didn't appreciate. Um, yeah, I gave it a six because. It just didn't do much to actually move the story along. Like, it finally did near the end. But it took you a lot of, you know, innuendo and Tony Stark hating on some alien chick to get there. And that really wasn't necessary at all. Um, so, yeah, it's 6 out of 10. Uh, next up is New Avengers number 3. Now, this was a tremendous book. Um, I'm interested to see what the correlation and eventual... Um, uh, I can't think of the word... When they eventually kind of have the two, two Avengers titles, New Avengers and this Avengers title, kind of meet up. Um, sorry, New Avengers and the Avengers that we previously talked about. This is obviously a great book because it's focusing on the Illuminati. Um, this issue I really liked because Professor Xavier is dead, so they have to you know find his gem, and basically they end up uh, coming in contact with the Beast and adding him onto the team. Um, Steve Epting does a great job with the artwork here. The scripting is extremely strong by Jonathan Hickman. Um, 
I love, love, love how it's being written. How you, you have these these parts where Reed Richards is, you know, confronting this character from another world. You have uh, the group putting together the Infinity Gauntlet again, and you have this great shot of the Watcher, Galactus, and Thanos kind of taking a moment, taking. Um, they realize what's happening, and then you have Steve being the one to actually put on the Infinity Gauntlet to try and stop one of these incursion waves, and he's able to do it, but it destroys. All the uh, all the gems are all shattered, which I don't know if that's possible, but it's actually a really fascinating concept. And that at the end of the day, it was Captain America couldn't be the one to hold it together. And uh, yeah, it's really interesting. And then the way the issue ends is kind of messed up, but crazy that um, they kind of make the decision that you know they they Steve doesn't have what. He doesn't have in him what he's going to need in order to do what needs to be done. Now, I don't even know if Beast does, per se, but um, he ends up kind of being rendered unconscious, and they take away his memory of what's been happening. So, really fascinating turn of events, uh, personally, and I really found it to be a thrilling issue. Gave it a 9 out of 10. Um, next on the docket is Red She-Hulk number 62, which has been a consistent surprise. I did never expected it to be as enjoyable or as engaging as it is, but it is. Um... I love that they used the, the version of Nikola Tesla from the um, the Shield miniseries, which unfortunately didn't really end yet. Uh, you have artwork by um, Pagulayan and Alves, and a great script by uh, Jeff Parker. Um, the I this is the first time I've really enjoyed reading Betty Ross as a character, uh, as well as Machine Man, and they have a great team up. I like how they have a I like what their mission is, and and they find that unfortunately they go to. Um, to find out where the girl was who gave her a glimpse of the future in the first place, and she's not there, um, and and it looks like maybe that they went underground. Who knows? You have a little bit more insight into what happened when Jennifer, uh, sorry, when Betty Ross first discovered this girl. Uh, you also have the glimpse that maybe it's we're going to be involving uh, Jennifer Walters, the she, the re- regular Green She Hulk, in the next issue. Um, this was a great, great read. This was part five of an arc. Uh, I'm really interested to see how it ends. Uh, this, and again, this is this really came out of left field for me because I never expected to really enjoy this book. I remember when they said, you know, Red She-Hulk's part of Marvel now. I'm like, well, I'll give it a shot. They're rebranding the Hulk book as Red She-Hulk. Maybe it'll be all right. Um, and you know what? It's been better than all right. It's been really good. And I, my brother-in-law was like, why, why are you reading that? It looks That looks like crap. That That's going to be stupid. I'm like, honestly, it's fantastic. And I stand by that. It's really tremendously good. Much better than I ever expected it to be. Um, I give that an 8 out of 10. Next up is Secret Avengers number 37. Ah, the less said about this, the better. It's finally over. I love Recommender. He's a great writer. This is not his best work. I, But to be fair, I feel a lot of that is on the artist. The art has not been consistent, nor has it been engaging or interesting or enjoyable in the last, you know, I don't even know how long it's been. So... With bad, with poor artwork, it's. I think it's doing a disservice to the script. Maybe the script would have been more engaging and enjoyable, but uh, I think engaging is one of my favorite words to use in the podcast. Just as an aside, um, I don't care about father anymore. I, again, the artwork is definitely hurting this book. Not that I would have loved it, um, but yeah, it's not helping. So Scalera is not the artist I ever would have put on this book. Remender is a good writer, but he can't overwhelm poor artwork. Uh, I gave it a six out of ten. It's the final battle with um, with uh, father and the descendants and all that stuff. 
I'm glad it's over. I'm interested to see what the new version of Secret Avengers will be. At least it has Luke Ross and artwork, I believe. So, and Nick Spencer writing it, who's got a... And he originally was supposed to be like the writer of Secret Avengers, and he wrote a few issues um, during this volume, uh, during Fear Itself, and then he was gone, and he had Warren Ellis, who was brilliant. And then, uh, then you had Remender, who I did not nearly enjoy as much. So, I mean, that's unfortunate, right? Uh, that's just kind of the way it goes sometimes. Uh, and so, yeah, I gave that a 6 out of 10. Next up is Superior Spider-Man number 3. This is a good issue. Um, last issue ended with Venom showing up. Uh, this issue kind of carries up from that. Uh, man, it's, it, I really love David Marquez. I think he did a great job on Ultimate Spider-Man while Sarah Pacelli was gone. But now that Sarah Pacelli is back, man, I hope she never leaves again. I mean, he did a great job, don't get me wrong. But Pacelli is just a brilliant illustrator. Um, her, she may, You know what I really like about it? She makes Miles look like a kid, which is what he is. He's a kid thrust into a super like a, an amazing situation as Spider-Man, and when he's in the costume, like he looks like a little kid. He's doing amazing things, but he's still a kid, and I'm glad that they haven't lost that. Um, yeah, and it's an interesting issue because, to be honest, I don't really know what's happened with Venom since he was last seen in the Ultimate Universe because uh, it's been a long time since I've read a lot of the Ultimate stuff, and I didn't read a lot of Peter Parker stuff that happened after Ultimatum, except for his death. Um, but this is, I mean, it's a pretty simple issue for the most part because it's just a fight with Venom outside of um, Miles' house. Miles' dad gets hurt. I uh, also have the idea that uh, Miles is trying to remember, like, how did Peter Parker fight this? I remember seeing this on YouTube. How did that go? Which is actually really fascinating. Um, really cool stuff. I'm interested to see where this where this will go. Um, yeah, I mean, it kind of felt like a done-in-one in a lot of ways, and it just kind of ends, but... Uh, I really liked seeing how this action-packed issue went. Um, it is a simple issue. It is about action. It's not as intent on characterization or plot, so it is a faster read, but it is a good read. It's an 8 out of 10. Uh, next, Sorry, I just realized uh, I mentioned I was going to talk about Superior Spider-Man. I paused the podcast. I went and talked about... I did something else. I came back, thought I was reviewing Ultimate Comics Spider-Man number 20, and then I talked about that. So for those who are like, what What the fuck? What just happened? Did I just have a stroke? Why is he talking about the wrong book? That's why. I apologize. My mistake. Um, I should just edit that out. But I'm not, because I do things live. <laughs> if I screw up, you're going you're gonna to hear it. And then you can be like, man, what a dumbass. Because I'd rather you know I'm a dumbass. Um, Alright, so jumping back to Superior Spider-Man number 3. So that was an 8 out of 10 for Ultimate Comic Spider-Man number 20. Superior Spider-Man number 3... Really, really good stuff. Um, again, I'm not a huge fan of the... Uh, sorry, I said that wrong. I'm interested to see where this will go. It does feel like a very short-term idea, this whole Ottawa's Spider-Man. Mainly because I'm really tired of having Peter Parker be so in our faces about it. Like, I, I'd rather they not have him in like almost every scene kind of looking over Spider-Man's shoulder. That being said, I really liked how um, uh, the auto auto spider-man took on these little vulture things as well as the real vulture and how he kind of took on adrian tombs and ends up doing some pretty brutal things to him um the idea about you know beating children etc i like the idea that peter is able to see uh more about um you know uh doc ock's history etc being able to see his memories kind of uh, really interesting stuff and then it's really brutal what spider-man does to adrian tombs um but you know this is this is a great read and 
really felt like Doc Ock's really having to confront aspects of himself and his own history. And also, it looks like maybe, just maybe, Carly Cooper is really figuring out that this is that this isn't the Spider-Man that she thought it was. This is that this is something different. And I'm hoping that she'll finally come come around and realize that you know this is not the real Spider-Man, and that's really dangerous for her. Uh, which Peter seems to believe that she has figured it out, and that's not a good thing for her because he might want to kill her because um, Doc Ock wants to keep the truth secret. So it's kind of crazy, but really well written. Um, Dan Slott really knocking this one out of the park. It feels thematically obviously very different from his run on Amazing Spider-Man for a good reason. Uh, the artwork by Ryan Stegman is just off the hook. It is fantastic. I love his artwork. Um, this was just an immensely entertaining read. Uh, gave it a 9 out of 10. Uh, next up is Swamp Thing number 17. I feel kind of the same way I did with Animal Man. I'm glad it's over. 7 out of 10. Um, unsure where it really goes from here. To be honest, I don't know if I'll keep reading after The Rot. Because um, it did feel like this, this, these both series were kind of building up to The Rot. And now that it's happened, I don't know if I really care to see what happens next. I'm not a huge Swamp Thing fan. And I don't know. I, this is alright. It, it didn't really f- make me really excited either way. Um. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard for me to really look at it. I, again, I like the artwork in here a lot more than in the main book. Or sorry, not in the main book. In uh, Animal Man, which I felt, as I said before, was too dark and twisted and disturbing. And I just didn't really enjoy the overall look of it. Um, what I don't like is that this is kind of the ending. This is the big climax. And yet, really, it's not the ending at all. Because you need to read issue 18 of Animal Man and Swamp Thing to really see what happens and afterwards and so and i guess maybe they're maybe they'll be called like the raw world finale part three and four but i feel like they won't be and they're just gonna be aftermath issues um but i don't know it is what it is uh i didn't necessarily enjoy it all that much but um i don't know i'm hoping that the next arc is i don't know i i did like the build-up here but it just didn't quite do it for me um Andrew Belanger did the artwork with Scott Scott-Nider and Jeff Lemire writing it. Um, I did enjoy this a lot more than the Animal Man uh, part of the finale. I will say that much. So, But again, still gave it a 7 out of 10. Next up is Thunderbolts number 4. This book is frustrating. I was going to give it a 6. I'm leaning more towards a 5 now. Uh, I don't really know what the point of the story is. Like, I guess we get a little bit more idea here of, of General Ross's complicity in what's been happening in this country that they've invaded and how they've been trading the people to come and take them out. Uh, I don't care. Like, it's not that well written at all. This is far from being Dana Way's best writing. But not only that, but the artwork by Steve Dillon is painfully bad. Like, he's just not the right artist at all. This could be a really moody, exciting book. Like, this could be... You put Mike Diodato in this book, and I think it would be fantastic. I think it would feel... Like, just you have this really banal artwork, so... Like the colors aren't that interesting or engaging. The the the, the characters look all thin lipped and, and emaciated. This just if you had a really vibrant artist and a really like if you had uh, Mike Diodato and Frank Demarada on colors, this would be a must have book just for the artwork alone. But if you have crappy artwork on a story that's already not all that engaging or enjoyable, then you have just signed your death warrant on that book. So I mean, and it's sad too. It's so it's it's. As much as I sometimes harp on uh, Warren Ellis' take on the Thunderbolts was a far cry from what that book originally was, but that book was about evolution, and it was constantly evolving in different ways, so at least it still had the aspects of it. This is nothing. There's art, there, This is just 
any other book. Like, it doesn't need to be called Thunderbolts. It could just be, you know, Red Hulk's the Strike Force. Like, that's basically what it is. And they're just using a, a name that has cachet. And as a fan of the Thunderbolts, I'm disappointed by that. Because this, and not that I've been reading Dark Avengers, to be honest, because I mean, that is what Thunderbolts became. And I just didn't really enjoy how that book was going either. It had some interesting issues, but I just felt like it wasn't really what I wanted to be reading. And the transition to Dark Avengers wasn't all that natural either, so I just kind of walked away from that. So the Thunderbolts number four, no thanks. I gave that a, I'm going to give that a five. Um, next up is Venom number 31. I gave it a seven and a half out of ten. It's not like a, a horrible book. It's definitely finding itself in terms of direction. Um, it just needs to do that a little bit more. I think bringing Eddie Brock will definitely make it more enjoyable. I did like this was kind of a done in one, kind of seeing how Frank, um, Flash Thompson is building his life now that he's moved to Philadelphia and seeing how he kind of deals with being able to have a day job and also having the symbiote inside uh, and how he's doing with the symbiote as well and how he wants to be a superhero at night. Um, it's not a bad issue at all. It's just he didn't move the plot along, and the characterization was good but not great, so that's why I gave it a 7.5 out of 10. It was uh, still quite enjoyable, um, better than some of the more recent issues. I mean, the book does kind of feel schizophrenic at times, like it's not quite sure where it wants to be or what it wants to be, So, uh, but I think it's starting to figure it out. Um, I do like the covers a lot as well. Got the artwork in here is by... Uh, Shelby and the uh, actual stories by Colin Bunn. So this is much better than Bunn's other book that came out this week. Uh, next up, again, I gave this a 6 out of t- a 10. And this is Winter Soldier 15. But I'm thinking more almost 5. I really liked Winter Soldier under uh, Ed Brubaker. Um, this didn't really work for me. Um, but it's the first issue of the new regime. The artwork wasn't really that good as well. But coming off of... The Butch Guy slash Michael Lark kind of tag team. What, how could it ever really uh, meet up with that? It's written by Latour, artwork by Klein. Um, you know, it, it is an issue where it's transitioning into what this book will be going forward. So it's not necessarily all that fair because it's basically um, picking up for where the character left off when Brubaker left the book and trying to move forward from there. So I'll give it the next issue before I'm really able to assess out if I'm interested in the new direction. But so far, not so much. Uh, so next up is... Uh, it was about five and a half, I'll say. Because I was originally going to say six, then I was leaning towards five. I'll do uh, five and a half. They are not the most enjoyable as well. Uh, after that, we got World's Finest, which is, again, and one of those books where I gave it a six, and I'm thinking, you know what? I made a mistake. I should give it a five. Uh, I didn't care for this story. Uh, you had Huntress uh, basically on her own fighting against these, these characters who've been basically sent there to try and reclaim some tech on the behalf of Michael Holt because Michael Holt disappeared after the Mr. Terrific series. Uh, Power Girl comes in and tries to save the day but it also gets a bit of a beating. Didn't enjoy this. Didn't really care much for it. Um, yeah, this, this is not good. This book is schizophrenic as well because half the time you'll get two stories. you get one that's Huntress, one that's Power Girl. Um, and usually they're not both good, unfortunately. Um, you had Paul Levis writing this artwork by George Perez who penciled in pages 1 to 7 and 15. Cafu penciled in 8 to 14. And then Yoldere Sinar penciled 16 to 20 and inked pages 19 to 20. With Phil Jimenez doing the uh, inks in pages 16 to 18. Didn't care a lot for this myself. And less said the better. It's kind of this weird book that 
doesn't I don't think anyone really enjoys it all that much. I mean, people pick it up because they like the title World's Finest. They like the idea of it, maybe, but I don't think anyone's really enjoying it that much. And if I'm wrong, please let me know. But I, I'm just it's not digging it. For, it's not doing it for me. I give it a five out of ten. You know, I, I'm sorry, five and a half. It just it's not doing it. Even though it's got George Perez artwork, it's it's not the best George Perez artwork. It's it's kind of muddied. It's uh, it's not the cleanest stuff he's ever done. It's kind of disappointing considering the high caliber of artist that he is. Uh, and that brings us to the last book, which is X Factor Two Fifty One. This was good. Uh, it was a solid read, not a great read. That's why I'm giving it a seven out of ten. Uh, Peter David obviously wrote it. Um, I'm unsure how they're doing on like how he's writing it as he's kind of uh, recuperating from his stroke. But Peter David wrote it with artwork by Leonard Kirk. This is Hell on Earth War, the Hell on Earth War Part Two. Um, you know, that's pretty good stuff. I mean, you got the team together. You have uh, trying to protect Tyr uh, from all, all the uh, destruction that could happen. You have um, uh, them trying to teleport away and get back to Earth, and then they end up right in the middle of the Darwin and Monet conflict. Um, Pluto and Mephisto, etc., are all trying to go after Tyr. This is actually pretty interesting stuff. Let me see where they go with it. Again, it does feel like with every arc, you get farther and farther away from what X-Factor was when it first started. But you know what? It is a logical progression. This is Peter David's little corner of the Marvel Universe. And to be honest, probably one of the better written corners. Because even when it's not all that, not as engaging as it could be, uh, it still has great characterization and really good writing. So it has that going for it. So I gave it a 7 out of 10. Now, there's a bunch of books I didn't get a chance to look at this week, but it's a smaller list, list than normal. Uh, I did not care at all. I, I tried reading it, but I didn't get any farther than the first page. That's Young Romance, New 52, Valentine's Day Special Number 1. No thanks. Uh, Stormwatch 17, no. Phantom Stranger 5, no. Human Bomb 3, Green Arrow 17, Ferris Number 12, Dial H Number 9, and Black Kicker Number 3. Unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to read most of any of these books, most of them because I just didn't care. Uh, to be fair, I mean, and at the end of the day, as much as I try to read as many books as possible for these reviews, I have to be at least a little bit interested or excited in what I'm reading, and if I'm not, there's a good chance I'll just skip over it, and that's what happened with these titles. So thanks for joining us for episode 51. This has been the uh, review uh, review episode for comics that came out February the 6th, uh, and thank you for joining us. Again, I'm Adam Chapman. You can email me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com if any feedback, questions, etc., uh, also, you can like us on Facebook, and um, you know we want to hear from you. We want to get the feedback, and I want to make the show as good as it possibly can be. So the best way to do that is to solicit to solicit uh, opinions and um, perspectives from people who actually listen to the show and see what they want to see from it. Uh, so thank you for listening, and uh, be sure to look forward to our next episode, episode fifty-two, which will be coming out either Wednesday on the thirteenth or possibly Thursday the fourteenth, which is Valentine's Day. Uh, that'll be our uh, the episode focusing on our favorite comic book video games. Um, unfortunately, it'll just be myself and Nathan Struck on that episode as uh, Paul Scores was not available when we ended up doing the episode. But at some point, we hope to do an addendum episode where we kind of revisit our, our top numbers and uh, probably in our a future episode that we'll do with Paul so we'll at least be able to get his, um, his top tens as well for those uh, comic book-based video games. So thanks for joining us, and make sure to uh, check us out next time. Bye-bye.